If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And to open up in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30 is going to be our text this morning. The title of the message this morning is David Fleeing for His Life. And I believe it will be a lot of practical application for us in our lives as we look at this passage and wonderful sightings of Christ as we continue our series, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture. This section, uh, this sermon will be covering 1 Samuel chapters 21 through 30, but we're going to read uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 6 for our opening scripture. So let's, let's read God's word together. First Samuel 30, beginning in verse 1. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Let's pray together. And I'm going to pray for the message, but before I do that, I'm going to pray for um, our leaders, our governmental leaders, in accordance with 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So let, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your sovereign rule over all things. And we pray for President Trump and the leaders of our country from all parties and leaders all over the world that you would give them wisdom in these turbulent times to do what is just and right and good. We pray for peace in the Middle East and all over the world. We pray for our nation and for all the nations of the earth that as we hear of wars and rumors of wars, that we would come before the feet of Jesus in repentance and in faith, knowing that all these are just signs of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us all to be ready for that day. Lord, as we see justice carried out on evil, 
Help us to remember that you do not delight in the death of the wicked. Help us, likewise, not to delight in the death of the wicked, even as we are thankful that in your common grace, you restrain evil on the earth. As days grow darker on the earth before Jesus returns, empower us as your people to shine like lights for the glory of your Son and to be faithful to boldly proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ, which alone has the power to save and to transform souls. Your Gospel, Lord, is the hope for all nations. And it alone has the power to save and transform people and cultures. So Lord, we put our hope there. And this morning as we hear Your Word and we look at the life of David, the king, the first king in the line leading up to the birth of Your Son, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Inspire us, move us, deepen our faith in Christ as we look at Your Word together. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thanks for praying with me. This uh, section of Scripture from 1 Samuel chapter 21 all the way up to 1 Samuel 30, which I read verses 1-6, through but the entirety of that chapter covers a period of time from about 1012 B.C. to 1010 B.C. And we follow a period of two years here, really, where David just is in nonstop peril for his life, and he's fleeing for his life. We left off last week with looking at the friendship of David and Jonathan, where because of Saul's uh, jealousy toward David, David's life was really under threat, and he needed to leave in haste from the house of Saul and escape. And he actually escaped with the help of his wife, Michal, and, and, and fled, and, and he wept with Jonathan because he realized that as he parted from Jonathan, he was no longer going to be by his side on a daily basis like he was before. And so David now is in flight, full flight as we look at 1 Samuel 21, uh, leading up to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Um, it's important to note, I want to just highlight a few things uh, that are important here. Uh, throughout this section, this is, this is really powerful to think about. As turbulent as it was, Psalm 52, 34, 56, 57, 142, and 54 were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by David during this time. And so I've been making this point as we've been looking at David and his life and just in times of prosperity, certainly Psalms are written. But what you see is that in times of great adversity and in times of many afflictions, you see Psalms being written as King David, who's not yet king, but he's been anointed king. He's waiting on the fulfillment of the promise when the prophet Samuel anointed him king. But from the time period that that happened after he killed Goliath, and even before, leading up to about 1010 B.C., when he starts to begin to take power, we're talking about many years of time passing where he's waiting on the Lord. And these aren't easy years. These are years full of afflictions and trials. And he really is fleeing for his life. He's in exile. 
And he's hunted with rage by King Saul and other wicked men. He's exiled. And here in this passage, the reason I chose this little section here is you get a real glimpse of one of the lowest of lowest moments for David as he is gathered with his men. They're in Ziklag. And you've got to understand, Ziklag was a city that was granted to him from the Philistines. He wasn't even able to stay in Israel any longer. Even though he was from the tribe of Judah, he was fleeing for his life from Saul to the point where him and his men were in Ziklag. And as they are going about their duty and doing the work of the Lord, Ziklag is raided while they're away and their wives and their children and their plunder are all taken captive by the Amalekites. And so David is so broken and so low at this point in 1 Samuel 30. And I highlight that to just point out that the precious word from the Psalms in Psalm 34.19, which Psalm 34 was written during this, this time period. Psalm 34.19, David writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord has delivered them out of them all. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord has delivered him out of them all. He knew this by experience, and he understood the the distress of soul that comes underneath of affliction. And that phrase in verse 4 just affects me so much that David and the, the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. And on top of that, not only was he weeping for the loss of his wife and children, along with the other men, but he had the additional burden of being utterly alone in verse 6. David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. You get this ray of light, this glimpse of hope. In, in God's grace in David's life, the man after God's own heart, we see it here, but David strengthened himself in the Lord is God. There's, there's many evidences of God's grace that I want to point out about David's life from 1 Samuel 21 through 30. I'm going to highlight four of them for us this morning. The first is the grace to trust in God. The grace to trust in God. Secondly, the grace to entrust himself to God. It's a little bit different. Grace to trust in God and grace to entrust himself to God. Thirdly, grace to strengthen himself in God, which we just looked at in this passage briefly. And then finally, grace to be made victorious over his enemies. Grace to be made victorious over his enemies, which we'll look at at the very end of the sermon here in 1 Samuel chapter 30. So I want to look first at grace to trust in God. And as we do that, I'm going to ask you to flip back to 1 Samuel chapter 21. I want to kind of fly through this section of scripture here and get you eventually here to 1 Samuel chapter 22, where I'm going to focus in on this first point, grace to trust in God. David and his men, they come to Nob where the priests of Israel live. 
and Ahimelech the priest helps David out in a passage of Scripture that many of you might know. I'd encourage you to read through this section of Scripture if you're you're not familiar with it because there's this wonderful terrain that's covered. The stories are fascinating and it's wonderful just to see the faithfulness of God in the life of David specifically through these stories. But the priests and Ahimelech here, he ends up arming David, he has the sword with him of Goliath the Philistine, whom David had slaughtered years before now. This is going back over ten years before this moment. Ahimelech has the sword of Goliath, which David takes with him, because he's in flight, he's fleeing for his life, he doesn't have his weapons with him. And they're also, him and his men are weary from the journey, and David and his men... Um, eat the bread of the presence. And you actually might remember in the Gospels, Jesus highlights this story when, when the Pharisees are coming at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. Jesus points out, hey, did not David and his men eat the bread of the presence that was in the presence of the Lord to talk about how it was a good thing here as David and his men, you see Ahimelech saying, are you guys holy? Have you been walking in holiness in relation to women? And there's this great expression here where David says in verse 5, truly women have been kept from us always when we go on an expedition. And then he says this wonderful phrase, the vessels of the young men are holy even when it's an ordinary journey. How much more today Will their vessels be holy? And so this is a serious moment when they're in flight and he's running for his life. Certainly holiness is going to mark his life on on a more extraordinary season like this. But I love the way David says that the vessels of the young men are holy. It means the young men that he, he walked with were holy even on an ordinary journey. And you get a glimpse here of the godliness of these men as they're famished and they're eating the bread of the presence here in the city of the priests. And you get this glimpse of trouble on the horizon in verse 7. When Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen, sees Ahimelech giving assistance to David and his men. That's going to show up later. But you just see David getting armed and his men being strengthened for the journey. David flees to Gath. That's the land of the Philistines in verse 21, verse 10. You see it there. He goes to Gath, and there's this extraordinary story here where he comes before Achish, who's the king of the Philistines, and they remember the story. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. And they're like, this is David, who struck us down years ago, and Goliath. And David was much afraid. It was so interesting. Somebody brought up fear during uh, the ministry time this morning during worship, and uh, I'm so thankful for ben, Ben's words as he shared that in the call to worship, David, when he heard Achish and the men of the Philistines highlighting that song, and he realized that he was before the king of the Philistines, he gave way to his fear here. He changed his behavior. He pretended to be insane, verse 13. And you see, um, he, he plays the part of a madman in front of Achish, and it, it works. And David actually writes a psalm in the midst of this time, talks about how the Lord delivered him. But it, it's also an instance here where it seems like there was a there was a, a, a dynamic potentially here where David didn't fully trust the Lord, and yet we see God mercifully sparing his life, and Achish doesn't want the madman with him and sends David away. And David had to depart from even the land of the Philistines. So he's got no home in Israel. He's got no home 
in the land of the Philistines during this season. And finally, he ends up in chapter 22 at a famous passage of Scripture here at the cave of Adullam. You can get a lot out of a study of David and his men in the cave of Adullam. I just want to highlight a few verses here. Let's begin reading in verse 1. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was, who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from there to Mizpah of Moab. And he said to the king of Moab, it shows you the desperation he's in. Please let my father and my mother, remember they, they, they were living in uh, uh, Judah as well with David prior to this moment, the persecution of Saul was so great that it was not only threatening David's life, it was also threatening his mom and dad's life. And he has to go to the land of Moab to see if his mom and dad might be able to have refuge there in the land of Moab. And his mom and dad stayed with Mizpah. And in Mizpah, in the land of Moab, while the time that David was in the stronghold, It says in verse 5, Then the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. And so David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. And so you see that the word of the Lord keeps coming to David. Guidance keeps coming to him from his loving heavenly father, through prophets, through him inquiring of the Lord. And you'll see that as a major theme throughout this section. David's heart for God, and that before he even goes before men to get counsel from men, he goes to God, and he goes to the Lord in prayer for guidance. And and it's a description, brothers and sisters, of his trust in the Lord above everything. But it's it's wonderful, this expression in verse 3, when he says, please let my father and mother stay with you, Look at this second half of verse 3 in 22. Till I know what God will do for me. So here he is. He's in the cave of Adullam. He's being hunted for his life. He's got 400 people with him who are the most distressed, debt-ridden, bitter and soul people in Israel. They're all coming to him. He was anointed to be the king over all of Israel years ago. Probably going back about almost 15 years back. Now he's here. And he's in distress, and others who are in distress are coming and asking for care as well and gathering to him. And he's got to be potentially tempted to think, Lord, is this, is this your will? Like, what, what is going on here? I'm being hunted. This isn't what I had in mind, Lord, when the anointing oil of Samuel flowed over me on that glorious day when I was chosen as a man after your own heart to be the true king of Israel. But he has this faith in God, and it's expressed here when he says to the king of Moab, till I know what God will do for me. You think, what is the Lord doing here in the cave of Adullam, this dark place in the life of David? Brothers and sisters, God is working in David so that if he's faithful in little, he'll also be faithful with much more. If he could be faithful to care for the Israelites that God brings to him who are in distress, debt-ridden, and bitter, he's forging the heart of a true shepherd king in these moments as he's caring for these men and women and these distressed individuals who are coming out to him. And not only that, 
the Lord is strengthening and testing his faith. It's very clear here when he's in this situation. He doesn't know what his future is going to hold. And he's very honest with the king of Moab. But he says this, Till I know what God will do for me. It's almost like as if he's saying, I don't know what God's going to do for me, but I know this. God is going to do something for me. Because He has promised. And He is faithful. And there is this faith that is manifested out from the life of David here in the cave of Adullam that is really inspiring. There's a ray of hope there in 23 or 22.3b when David says, till I know what God will do for me. And I was thinking about it in relation to us, especially as it's been mentioned already. This is our first Sunday of 2020, and it's not only a new year, but it's a new decade. You know, it, it's, very, it's very important for us to ask this. Where, where do you most need to trust in the Lord right now in your life? And to be able to say, as you look into the future, as the, even as the Proverbs 31 woman looks at the future and she can laugh at the days to come, I think the reason she can laugh at the days to come is she looks and she knows that there's going to be many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver him out of them all. But she looks at the days to come and she can laugh because like David, she can say, I don't know what God is going to do for me, but I know this. God has already done something for me by sending His Son to shed His blood for me on the cross. That's been accomplished. I have no doubt about His love. And, and also this, God is also going to do something for me. And I know that He's going to manifest His faithfulness to me. I was so blessed by the reading from Romans 8 this morning that God is for us. Who can be against us? We don't know all that God is going to do in our lives individually in 2020. But this we do know. God will be with us. And God is for us. And we are not promised an affliction-free life. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Don't think something strange is happening to us, brothers and sisters, when we are dealing with dark days of affliction. It is no sign of God's Lack of favor on our life simply because we are going through afflictions. The righteous go through afflictions in this fallen world all the way until we will never have afflictions ever again when we get to heaven. And that day's coming, but for right now, we have the many are the afflictions of the righteous. And it's important to say in our heart, I don't know what God will do for me, but I know this, God's going to do something for me. He's for me and He's not against me. And this battle that I'm in, these things that are up ahead that seem like giants in the land, I serve a God who drives the giants out of the land. I serve a God who's great and awesome and trustworthy. And He has proven that by sending His Son to die for me on the cross and rise from the dead for me. But I also, as I look at my individual life and God's plans for me in my life, though I know that many will be the afflictions, I also know this. The Lord will do for me. And God is good. And He can be trusted. And we can learn from David in the cave of Adullam in this dark place as he's got all the distressed gathered around him and they're all looking to him. He says, 
to the king of Moab, please take care of my mom and dad till I know what God will do for me. It's a mystery to me what he's doing right now. But I know this. He's for me and he's not against me. Grace to trust in God in 2020 and beyond Christ community. I believe the Lord wants to impress that on our hearts to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. In all of our ways, let us acknowledge the Lord and let us just be faithful to Him in this journey. And as the Lord leads us in these wilderness wanderings from the land of Nob to the land of Gath to the cave of Adullam, sojourners, pilgrims, who are not home yet, just like King David is not home and has no home. Let us remember that Jesus Christ, our Savior, our brother, also likewise knows what it's like to not have a place to lay His head. Our King of kings and Lord of lords knows what it was like to minister And to not have a home of his own, but to wander throughout Israel from land to land and house to house, hunted and pursued even from his birth, brothers and sisters, all because he purposed in his heart to come and rescue us. Let us trust in him as we head into 2020 and know that we don't know all that he's going to do but we know He is going to do and work all things together for good in our lives. Amen? Amen. Well, the second point is grace to entrust Himself to God. So He's in the cave of Adullam. Then the story from the priests of Nob comes back. And even though this doesn't, this doesn't bear heavy on this second point, I just want to highlight, many of you probably know this story, Doeg the Edomite goes to King Saul and, and informs on the, uh, the city of the priests in Nob. Ahimelech is informed upon as Doeg tells Saul, yeah, the priests supported David and his men. And Saul goes and it's like a scorched earth policy. He massacres the entire city. It's not just 85 priests, but it is 85 priests he also wipes out the city of Nob, the men, the women, the children, the animals. Brothers and sisters, this, this shows the hardness of heart that came upon King Saul in his obsession to seek to wipe out David. Anybody who aided or abetted David in his mind was an enemy, and he felt like he had the right to wipe out even the priests of the Lord. And there is one priest named Abiathar, one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, verse 20, in chapter 22, told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul And he just says this, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. And then he says in verse 23, stay with me. Do not be afraid. For he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safekeeping. 
And I've talked to you already about this. I love these connections with Christ. Remember, David is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the first king, but the ultimate king of kings, whom David's life points to, is the one also who, when we come alongside of him and we take refuge under the shelter of his wings, we hear the words from Jesus Christ, even as Abiathar heard them from David, the king, with me, you shall, church, be in safekeeping underneath the shelter of the wings of our warrior king, King Jesus. And we can entrust ourselves to him. David, even in the midst of fleeing, if you look in 23, he actually goes and saves the city of Keilah. I'm not going to be able to delve into this, this dude, for time. But if you look in verses 1 through 5, and, and, and the story progressing through 1 Samuel 23, you'll see David seeking and inquiring of the Lord through Abiathar, asking the Lord for counsel. And the Lord gives specific direction to King David as to what he's supposed to do within the city of Keilah. And after the battle, he inquires of the Lord as well, can we take refuge in this city and be safe from Saul. And the Lord says, no, you have to flee again because Saul would wipe the city out and these men would give you up. So the Lord is giving specific guidance and direction to King David even as he's in the midst of this fleeing for his life. And this is all evidence of his faith in God. But we'll see these stories here, even as Saul continues to pursue David, fleeing for his life, how he is pressed to the brink. David is pressed to the brink in the second half of 1 Samuel 23 in a story likewise you may well know where David and his men, if you look in verse 24, it says David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon and Saul and his men went to seek him and David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon and when Saul heard it, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. Just look at the wonderful care and the providence of God here. Verse 27, A messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. And so Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. And therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. I love that. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. The Rock of Escape. I don't know what that's going to look like in your life, brothers and sisters. I don't know why God ordains to take us to the brink where Saul is right on our heels and he's closing in. And I would much rather prefer in my flesh to have a life, even living as a Christian, where we, we kind of catch a break together. And I, I pray to God that he gives us that. No one desires to be in flight for their life with Saul on their heels pursuing them. It's a mystery why God deals with his people in this way. But brothers and sisters, what I've come to learn personally is that it's good to be desperate in the Christian life. To be desperate puts us on our knees. To be desperate causes us to write psalms crying out to God for grace and mercy. And here we also see that in the midst of being pressed to the brink, that our God is a God who gives us the rock of escape. Christ is our rock of escape. 
We are pressed to the brink by Satan hunting us down like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Christ is the one who has crushed his head, has shut the lion's mouth, and has delivered us as our rock of escape. Oh, brothers and sisters, take heart that even in the midst of being pursued and pressed like you are, God has a good purpose in all of it, in every detail. And He's also, look at that text, He's looking out for you. He knows, He knows what you're going through. He knows how much we can bear. And the Lord gives us a way of escape. He delivers His people. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers Him out of them all. This was one of them all's. that David was delivered from the hand of Saul. Right in the nick of time, a messenger comes in the providence of God and turns Saul back, or else David would have been captured. God was looking out for his son. And God looks out for his sons and daughters as you're heading into this new year and this new decade. Take comfort in that. But the entrusting himself, David spares Saul's life. If you you look in 24, it's... It's an amazing section of Scripture here. It's just one of two stories where David does this in in chapter 24, and he does it a little bit later on as well, where God delivers Saul to him. He's actually in the cave, and um, Saul's relieving himself, and it actually says that David sneaks up on him, and he realizes Saul's in the dark right now. He's unprotected. He's even got his men saying to him in verse 4, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And then look at the sensitivity to God that David has in verse 5. Afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing that he's the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. You're going to see this as a theme throughout this stretch. Saul takes matters into his own hands. It's a mark, really, of unbelievers that they take matters into their own hands. They try to bring relief to themselves. They settle things for themselves. They deliver themselves with as much energy that they can deliver themselves with. Whereas you see David... Rather than living that way, there's a meekness about the people of God where God's people entrust themselves to the Lord to deliver them. There's a difference in the way Christians live their lives from the way unbelievers live their lives. Saul is just in a crazed state of mind seeking to deliver himself from what he feels is a scourge of David. And he is so bent on destroying him and will not give up. It's the complete opposite of David. He doesn't entrust himself to the Lord. But we see David entrusting himself. And he's so sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So sensitive that he his own heart strikes him just from tearing off a corner of Saul's robe. He's got his men telling him, listen, God's delivered your enemy into your hand. Deliver yourself, David. Take relief for yourself, David. And David would not do it. Because he remembers the admonishment, brothers and sisters, that all of us are meant to remember as well. 
in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, where the Word of God says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And in 1 Peter 2.23, it says of the Lord Jesus, this verse, which many of you love this verse, but I want to highlight it. Speaking of Jesus, when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Jesus entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. David entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. And He would not take Saul's life. Even though two times God delivered His enemy into His hands. And the Word says expressions about this that are marvelous. It says that even Saul exclaims that the Lord has restrained you from saving with your own hand. It's not just in his deliverance from Saul where the Lord delivers him twice from Saul's hand. There's this beautiful section in Scripture where it says when David meets Abigail, and and what a story David and Abigail is. In In terms of, if you look at the story of David and Abigail as it progresses along here, you're going to see in chapter 25 the story of a woman who is described as beautiful and wise and a woman of discretion. She is a real model. And it's an example of how a godly woman can make such a difference for good in many people's lives, but also in the life of a godly man. Abigail recognizes when her foolish husband Nabal, you may remember this story, will not aid David, but rejects David, rejects the Lord's anointed, will not give him aid, will not give him and his men assistance in the wilderness, even though David and his men were like a wall of protection around him and all of his shepherds. And David and his men did good and didn't take anything from him. David asks for aid. And Nabal foolishly mocks David and tells him to get away. Abigail realizes that David is going to be whipped up into a wrath over this. And and she was right. She goes and she musters up a lot of food and sends it out. And she meets David as he and his men are on their way with swords drawn to cut down Nabal and his entire house. There's just, uh, just a section there where David says that Basically, Abigail, had you not come, there would not have been one male left alive amongst Nabal's house by morning when we came. And so she, through her wisdom, comes and she averts the wrath of David. And what David says to Abigail, because Abigail says, don't do this, my Lord, because you're going to have blood guilt from killing these people in your anger. And she also says to him, not to deliver himself with his own hand. She exhorts David not to give himself over to seeking to deliver himself with his own hand. So you see this test that he has twice with Saul, where Saul's delivered into his hands and he does not give himself to that. Also in the story with David and Abigail, David and his men, David was tempted to take matters into his own hands 
and have a scorched earth policy towards Nabal and his household. He would have wiped them out, but he realizes when Abigail had calmed him down with her counsel that she had delivered him from blood guilt. What a helper. What a blessing. What a model she is for all of us. But for godly women as helpers and helpmeets, and and also she also tells David that it would not be right or wise for David to seek to deliver himself with his own hand. Instead, entrust it to God. What's amazing with that story is David's like, you're right, he entrusts it to God, and the very next day, God takes care of it. A lot of times we're tempted to take matters into our own hands because we don't think God's going to take care of it. We think God's not going to do anything. This was unjust the way Nabal treated David. But it's actually not true. When we entrust things to the Lord and we leave room for God's wrath and we don't take vengeance for ourselves, we don't take matters into our own hands, but instead entrust it to the Lord, we will see that God defends and protects His own. So entrust what you have going on in your life to the Lord, brothers and sisters. Don't take matters into your own hands and seek to deliver yourself or to bring relief to yourself through your own energies and ingenuities. But instead, entrust yourself to the Lord. Trust in the Lord and then also entrust yourself to the Lord like David as you're heading into 2020. I'll tell you, that takes a lot of fear of God. That takes a lot of trust in God. It also takes a lot of waiting on God. David could have brought some relief to himself by killing Saul. Instead, he had to wait two more whole years of being pursued. It's very tempting to want to give yourself relief rather than wait on the Lord and wait for the Lord to bring you relief. To wait for the Lord to deliver you out of them all. We want to get ourselves out of affliction. And when we want to get ourselves out of affliction, sometimes we can really back bad moves as we seek to live out our Christian lives. We can sin in order to escape pressure in our lives. We can sin in order to escape affliction. When God wants us to humble ourselves and come underneath of His mighty hand and entrust ourselves and our souls into His hand and to remember, even as Jason read from Romans 8 this morning, that nothing will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are safe in His keeping. Entrust yourself to the Lord. Thirdly, grace to strengthen Himself in God. So after the story with Abigail, David marries Abigail and he flees to the land of the Philistines. Um, He does it again. He goes there and he gets refuge there for a little while in the city of Ziklag. But eventually, the Philistines recognize, even though David has favor under the king of the Philistines named Achish, the lords of the Philistines don't trust David because they said he's going to 
he's going to betray us and he's going to get himself back in the good graces of Saul by turning on us in battle. It's, it's a crazy chapter, but 1 Samuel 29 actually shows David getting ready to go to battle with, on the side of the Philistines against Saul and his men. And I think in the intervention of the providence of God, again, if you read that chapter, brothers and sisters, why did God have the lords of the Philistines rise up and get David out of there? David didn't know this yet. This was the battle that Jonathan and Saul both died in. And I can't help but think how kind of God that in His providence, He got David out of that battle, sent him in a different direction, into a battle with the Amalekites instead on his own, and saved him from participating in a battle that years later he might reflect on and recognize. I had a hand in the battle that brought my friend Jonathan to his death. God was looking out for David yet again in 1 Samuel chapter 29. But even as he was doing all this good, in in chapter 30 it says that David and his men, when they came to Ziklag, they realized that the Amalekites had raided them. And here is the scripture that we began with. David was weeping, he was in distress, and he had all the people against him who were ready to stone him because under his leadership, they were brought into a bitter distress of soul and were plundered. But it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. What a remarkable phrase. Let me just say a few words here by way of application to us and discipleship church for us. Strengthening yourself in God. Please hear this. No one can do this for us, but us. I can't do this for you. You can't do this for me. Each one of us as believers in Christ need to be able to stand on our own two feet in the Lord and strengthen ourselves in God. We can't rely on other believers. And we can't rely on, thank God for the body of Christ, thank God for fellowship. And as we learned from uh, Jonathan earlier in chapter 23, when Jonathan comes to David, and Jonathan strengthens David in the Lord. Fellowship does do that, and we are called to participate in fellowship, and be strong and committed to fellowship in the local church. But brothers and sisters, all the fellowship in the world and, and all the, the church events and participation and all of that, all the churchy stuff, it is no substitute if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus on your own and have the ability to go into a prayer closet and wage war and to strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. There are depths of distress that your spouse cannot help you with. There are depths of dealings with God that you need to be able to get on your knees and plead with the Lord for and cry out to Him. And David finds this out here at Ziklag where even his most trusted men, instead of being around him now like they were in the cave of Adullam, he's all alone. They're outside his tent and they're plotting to stone him to death. What do you do when you don't have even your brothers and sisters around you, to support you. Oh, church, 
We have a friend in Jesus who is closer than a brother. We have a friend in Jesus who we are to commune with, to walk in close fellowship with, abide with. And I want to encourage each and every one of us to have our quiet times, not be just this routine that we get into, but let it be every day a going before the Lord to strengthen ourselves in the Lord our God. I was remembering a book a number of years ago, and I just love the title of it. It was Too Busy Not to Pray. I love the title. Because we can come up with all kinds of excuses why we don't pray, why we're not in the Word year after year, and why we just let the spiritual disciplines slack in our life. And brothers and sisters, we have to recognize that there's a direct correlation between feeling weak and defeated all the time in the Christian life and our personal times with Jesus. If we don't make time to get before the Lord, if we don't make time to just draw near to Christ and, and, and just love Him as our Savior, as our brother, as our friend, if we don't have that as J.C. Ryle describes abiding as that constant, close communion with Jesus Christ, if we don't have that, then we will be vulnerable to the fiery darts of the evil one that are aimed to discourage us. We will walk, rather than being filled with the Holy Spirit, we will be walking around on fumes. And we're just vulnerable. And I thank God for the blessing that my family is to me. I thank God for the blessing that my church family is to me. I thank God for fellowship and worship and all the blessings that the body of Christ bring to me. But I realize, as David realized here, there are certain things that you need to go and sort out with the Holy Spirit in your prayer closet. There's a pastor named Young E. Cho who wrote a book called Prayer, Key to Revival, who was a pastor who helped to, was instrumental in bringing about a great revival in South Korea. And he, one of the things he instructed his congregation with is that, listen, we're not going to be able to help you here with all kinds of different counsel all the time. And like, so they designed this place called Prayer Mountain, where the people would go to Prayer Mountain and they would go and seek the Lord in prayer and fasting. And guess what? The Lord showed up and met the people and He met them individually through repentance and brokenness and confession of sin and crying out to God and being strengthened in God. And it's no wonder that a great revival came about in the church there in South Korea. Praise God for that. Let us do the same. Let us have a strong individual walk with Jesus and abiding in Christ, motivated not by legalism, but by grace, where we walk strongly with our Lord, and when others are around the tent saying, I want to stone Him because I don't like that He's brought us here, and even our closest brethren turn their backs. We're struck down, but we're never destroyed. Because we have the friend who sticks closer than a brother in the tent with us. And we lean upon his breast. And we call out upon his name and we ask him. 
And we call out to the Holy Spirit and say, fill us. Fill me, Lord. Speak to me, Lord. Guide me, Lord. I am weak, but you are strong, Lord. Give me what you need, Lord. I take refuge in you, Lord. And you encounter the power of the Holy Spirit coming and igniting and refreshing and giving perspective and fresh vision and flushing out all the toxins of this world and reviving and renewing your soul again. And you get up, godly man, godly woman, and you walk up out of that tent different. Because by the grace of God, you, by the Spirit of God, strengthened yourself in God and you found strength in Him to go forward. Now, this could have been the end of the story. I mean, when you brought, you're brought this low, where you're weeping, where your eyes can no longer weep and the people are talking of stoning you. I mean, it, it could have been the end of the story right here. All the others were bitter. But David, it says in verse 7 and 8, look at verse 8. David inquired of the Lord. I love that. David inquired of the Lord. And that brings us to our final point. The grace to be made victorious over his enemies. David pursued those Amalekites. And guess what? He and the men who were strong enough to go with him. They recovered every single wife, every single kid, every bit of the plunder, and they took spoil from the Amalekites. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, and I don't know what this is going to look like in our lives specifically, but I do know that God's going to show up right on time, and I do know that we are going to walk into the city of the New Jerusalem with the happy ending of our story being in victory. We are described as the overcomers, church. We are described as the one who have endured to the end by God's grace. And it's not for our own glory. It's all because of God's sustaining grace. And it's all because we, like the men who were following David and the women following David here, we have a king who knows what it's like to weep, who knows what it's like to be in great distress of soul to the point of sweating drops of blood, who knows what it's like to have all those who should have stood by His side deny Him and won't even betray Him, and who knows what it's like to face a pursuer and a hunter like Satan And knows what it's like to cry out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I was thinking of this. David could go into the tent and strengthen himself in God because he cried out to God and God answered him. Jesus cried out to his Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even his own Father needed to forsake Him along with all of man in order for us to be delivered into this victory that we are delivered into. And like the Amalekites, 
who had us in prison. Satan had us in prison. And Jesus came and rescued us out of the lion's mouth. Jesus came and delivered us and brought us under His safekeeping. Jesus came and saved our souls, beloved. And how happy are we to have a powerful King of kings and Lord of lords who pressed all the way through the distress even unto death on the cross and knows what it's like to come up through on the other side to glorious resurrection life, giving every one of us in this room who repent of our sins and believe in Him hope this morning. Hope for this new year. And hope for this upcoming decade that yes, many will be our afflictions. But this is our happy declaration that we end on. The Lord has delivered us and will deliver us out from them all. Amen, church? Let's, let's pray and praise Him. If I could have the worship band return. We thank You, victorious Savior and King. Thank You that You know what it's like to suffer in this fallen world as we do. Thank You, Sovereign God, that You care about us and You care about each minute aspect of our daily lives. Thank You that we can turn to You. Oh Lord, I pray that You would give us grace to be able to strengthen ourselves in You. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, for Your power to come upon us. Would You renew and restore just life and passion for You and our times of prayer, our times in the Word individually. God, would You ignite a fire in each one of us that would burn individually in our own hearts, but also, Lord, would burn corporately in our fellowship. And Lord, take our worship of You in spirit and truth to new heights. Take our communion with You, Lord, to new depths so that we might bring glory to Your name in this life that we have to live. Thank You so much, Jesus, for coming and rescuing us and being our rock of escape and our rock of refuge. Thank You so much that though many are the afflictions of the righteous, You have delivered us and will deliver us out from them all. We love you so much and we can't wait to see your face, Lord Jesus. Because when we die, those of us who believe in you, we will die in the Lord. And when we die in the Lord, even that is gained to us. Because we will see you face to face. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we praise you for how awesome you are. It's in your name we pray. Let's stand and worship in church.
And I pray, Father, for each and every one of us here that as we go, that 